0: Today is our last week on our Declutter series. We've been wrapping up this series today, and we're going to start a new series next week, the title of which is still in the works, but it's going to be talking about how do we relate to our culture. And so we've been looking at a number of different things in this Declutter series. We've been looking at physical stuff. We've been looking at emotions. We've been looking at time. Today we're going to be looking at one that... Everyone has in their lives, and many of us don 't understand how cluttery it is and that is noise. to start off with let 's read a scripture passage together. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to first Kings chapter nineteen. This is from First Kings chapter nineteen. The context of which is This is part of Elijah's story. Elijah was a prophet of God. He was a man who would proclaim what God was doing, especially in a time where people weren't following God well. Most people in their culture were worshipping this other God, this foreign God called Baal. And so what happens just before this chapter, in, in chapter 18, you have Elijah who has this confrontation with the priests of Baal. And he says, okay, let's choose which God we're going to worship. If Yahweh, my God, is the right God, then we'll worship him. If Baal is the true God, then we'll worship him. And he said, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to have a sacrifice. And each of us is going to make an altar. We're going to put a bull on the altar. We're going to put the the wood on the altar. But we're not going to get the fire yet. And instead, we're going to ask our God to provide the fire. Also, there had been this incredible famine and a drought going on in the area. And so that had been part of it. And so first, the prophets of Baal show up and they do their prayers and they're trying to cut themselves and all these other things to try to instill Baal to bring fire down from heaven. But Baal is a false god and, and has no power. And so it doesn't work. Now, Elijah has a little bit of fun with them and says, Well, maybe he's sleeping, say, call louder. And then it's Elijah's turn. And he orders water, this precious commodity right now because there's been this drought. And he pours water, gallons and gallons of water, over his own sacrifice so that it's pooling off around the altar. And then he prays to the one true God. And God sends fire from heaven. And it engulfs the altar, engulfs the bull, it even engulfs up all the water. And this was a major victory for Elijah. It was an amazing time, and people turned to God. But then something happens. The king and queen of the land are mad at Elijah, and they threaten to kill him. And so he runs off. He runs off. And this is where we come up with a story. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Can you appreciate the desperation in his voice? And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Some translations will say a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Amazing things happen after this, but we're going to just stop here. because I want to talk to you about that still small voice. Why is it so hard for us to be silent? Why is it so much easier for us to live with lots of noise all around us than to simply be silent? We are constantly surrounded with voices that are influencing us how to think, feel, and behave, whether that's movies, music, TV, internet, cell phones, never-ending barrage of advertising... There's always something going on, always noise in our lives. I don't want to say that that's bad. I don't want to say that particular noises in our lives are bad. But they're noisy. If we can just recognize that. They're noisy and our lives are full of noise. One study said that 183 million people are regularly exposed to noise levels that are labeled as excessive by the Environmental Protection Agency. 183 million people are constantly bombarded with excessive noise. And partly that's just how our culture is. We can just kind of say, you know what, that's just how we live. We have technology, we're plugged in generations. It's just part of how we live. And again, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it is Telling of our culture, I would suggest that our culture, and you hopefully you would agree with this, but I would suggest with our that our culture values noise more than it values quiet. Do a little test with me, first. Do you have a cell phone? I do. Does your cell phone have voicemail and email? Does your cell phone have texting and Facebook? How about this one? Do you have a TV? Most of us probably do. Do you have more than one TV in your house? Do you have the TV or maybe the radio or some other sort of music playing in the background even when you're not really listening to it? When you go into your vehicle, do you automatically turn on the radio? Most of you probably know by now that new SUVs and minivans now come with separate CD and DVD players for the back seats so that your kids can watch or listen to something different than what you're watching or listening to. Hopefully you're not watching something while you're driving, but to each their own. Just flag people down, they'll get out of your way. How about this one? Do you know that there is something called wired clothing out there now? There are hats and there are coats that have built-in Bluetooth speakers to them so that you can listen while you're getting dressed? I'm not totally sure. Our culture certainly does prioritize noise over quiet. And while none of those things are in and of themselves bad or wrong... I wonder whether there's a connection between the amount of noise in our lives and our inability to hear God. If God sometimes feels distant to you, maybe it's not because he's not talking to you, but rather because we aren't really listening. I want to show you some scriptures about Jesus and his disciples Jesus had a three-year ministry in which time he needed to start a movement through 12 people with the correct teaching and theology about who God was combined with all the people who wanted him to heal and perform miracles in just three years. He was going to change the world forever. Forever. That's a busy life. And yet, Jesus had a regular discipline of silence and solitude. Mark 1 verse 35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5 16 says, But Jesus often often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6:12 and 13 says one of those days Jesus went out onto a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. And then in, when the morning came he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. Notice here Jesus didn't do anything Significant or important without first taking time with his father. There's a theological underpinning here. Jesus was God, and yet when he came to earth, he humbled himself and he emptied himself of all of his God superpowers. In other words, Jesus didn't know everything, he didn't know. All that was going to happen. He needed his time with his father and listening so that he would be obedient to what his heavenly father wanted him to do. And so he took time to pray. My guess is that most of his time praying was quiet listening. Not only does Jesus take this time and make these disciplines in his own life, but he teaches his disciples to do so as well. Mark 6, 31 and 32 says this, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I stopped there because the next part says, but the crowds followed them. Please hear me say this, finding quiet and solitude is not easy. It may be absolutely indescribably challenging for some of you, but it's worth it. Mark 9, 2 says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Luke 11, 1 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach us to pray. They wanted to know, how do you pray? When you go off in quiet How do you pray? We want to do the same. And then Matthew 6, verse 6. This is one of the ways that Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. It says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now just pause for a second here. Because I have taught you folks to not take my word for it, but to go back to Scripture. And just read things in context. And when you do that, and I know you will, you will find that this is a little bit out of context. And you'll say to me, but Brian, Jesus isn't talking about solitude here. He's he's talking about the privacy of prayers. Because just before this, they're at the temple and they see the Pharisees who are praying loudly so that everyone can hear them. And they're trying to make a big deal about their prayers. They're probably using big theological words and, and, and changing their voice to sound impressive. And Jesus says this, don't do that, but instead go somewhere in private and pray. Now, we are a church that still prays out loud, and we think that there's a lot of Uh, validity in that and we can see in scripture that Jesus does pray out loud many times because we have his prayers written out and we wouldn't have those written out if people hadn't heard them however the main part of this scripture is talking about not praying so that people hear you but but praying simply to your father who's in heaven but I also want to just suggest that maybe there's a second underlying value here That when you go into your room or closet, as some translations talk about, and you close the door and you pray to your Heavenly Father, one of the things, one of the benefits of that is that you're going out of distractions. You're closing yourself off out of the distractions of your house or of the TV or of your work. And you're going somewhere that has, we'll say, less distractions. There are still all those to-do lists that go through your head, all those thoughts that come in and out, and that's fine. But you're closing off some of the distractions that you can close off. Now, again, we had a, a women's conference here this weekend. And if you are a mother or a father who has young kids who are at home, getting rid of the noise is going to be very, very, very tricky. If you have toddlers, if you have young kids constantly need you. This is just an especially challenging message for you and I and I get that. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to give you here are three ways to get the noise out of your life because I don't I don't know. But one thing I do know is that women are incredibly capable and creative people and that This is not a new phenomenon, that there have been mothers throughout centuries who have followed Jesus and have found time and a ways to find quiet in their lives, to listen to God. In fact, as I was thinking about it, so John and Charles Wesley, do those names ring a bell? John Wesley was a a great theologian. They lived, I think, in the 18th century sometime. The great, great theologian. At John Wesley, he, he was influential in starting the Methodist movement and in doing big revivals and helping people to, to disciple each other really, really well in small groups. His brother, Charles Wesley, was a phenomenal musician and in fact wrote many of the hymns that we still sing today and that were incredibly, incredibly influential in the last century. Now, They are just two of the brothers of a large family. And their mother was a devout follower of Jesus. And one of them, I can't remember if it was John or Charles, writes about his mother and her faith in one of his journals. And one of the things that that they talk about is that she made time with her Lord every day. And it was hard, especially when the kids were young. But this is what she did. She would take a blanket, and she would cover herself with the blanket. It makes me think about like when you're a little kid and you make a little fort. She would do that, she would cover herself with a blanket. And under the blanket, she would take her time listening and praying and reading her Bible. And the kids learned quickly That when mother is under the blanket, that you do not bother her. Now, that's just one example of a bizarre and creative way that women have found to take quiet and time with the Lord. I don't know what the best way for you is going to be. But I do want to encourage you that even the hardest things are worth figuring out. Back to the message. Too often we feel like our relationship with God is lacking. And yet we also don't often give him room to speak. We are so distracted by so many things that we need God to shake our lives with a strong wind or an earthquake or a fire. But the Lord is not in those things, but rather in the still small voice. But the problem with the still small voice or the the gentle whisper is that it is easily, easily ignored. So here's my question for you Do you feel like God is distant? Do you wish that God's voice could be louder in your life, that you could turn up the volume? And if so, is there a connection with, between the amount of noise in your life and your inability to hear God? We're going to do an exercise together. Ignatius, St. Ignatius of, of Loyola, I think he was the one who first coined this discipline of Lectio Divina, uh, the idea of reading scripture with the assumption that God would speak to you through it. Now, often when I read my Bible, when I read scripture, I follow kind of a a pattern called coin, where I first, I look at it very academically and I say, okay, what's the context that someone is talking here? What am I observing? How do I interpret what's being said? And then now what? What, what do I do with, with what I read? And that's a good way of, of reading scripture. I want to teach you a different one today. Um, and this is closer to, the, to Lectio Divina. And I don't have a great acronym for it, not like COIN. The acronym today is SMORP. Say that with me. SMORP. SMORP. not like You might be actually able to remember that one better. I don't know smorp and this is what it stands for first is scripture scripture going to scripture reading it meditating on it observing what it says god has already spoken through His scripture. we know that uh, and so now we're coming and saying okay god not what did you want to say to the people in the first century or in, in the original context but what are you wanting to say to me today we understand that the Bible is not simply a history book, but that, that God has inspired it and that God still speaks through it. His word is living and active and doesn't return to him, to him void. And so when we read, when we pick up our Bible and we, we read through it, we can actually come expecting that God wants to say something to us through it. And that's the next part. The message. smorp. Scripture, start with Scripture, and then ask, God, what are you wanting to say to me through this? What is the message for me in this passage? Maybe there's a correction. Maybe there's a direction. Maybe there's some encouragement or a promise, some wisdom. But ask, God, what do you want to say to me through that? And oftentimes what will happen is that you're reading through something, and a phrase or an idea will pop into your head and you'll go, oh, I didn't realize that before. Oh, wow, that's standing a little bit different. I've been trying to follow the the Old Testament challenge and was reading through Leviticus and I was just so overwhelmed at all of these horrible, intricate laws of how do you get rid of mildew and how how do you become pure if you've had uh, a menstrual cycle, or how do you get pure if you have touched a dead animal, and all these kind of like so many laws and so many rules and restrictions in Leviticus. And as I was reading that, honestly, I was like, uh, God, I don't know if you can even speak to me through this because this is just weird stuff. It doesn't really relate to us today, does it? And yet God did speak through it, and and He just brought the idea into my mind of, wow. This was all of the restrictions that people had in order to come to a holy God. And yet Jesus has now paid for them all. He has removed them all so that we can now come to a holy God. No matter who we are, no matter what deformities, no matter what disabilities, no matter what contact we've had with people, no matter what, we are invited into his presence. That was pretty powerful. So message, what is God wanting to say to you through this passage? Then the O part is obedience. Once God tells you something through that scripture passage, you might have to do something. If he convicts you, if he corrects you on something, you need to then follow that correction. If he directs you to do something, you need to follow that. And the fact is, this is probably one of the hardest parts of smorp, frankly, of the, of the Christian life. And if you're not willing to do what God says to you, it's hard to even want to hear God's voice in the first place. Frankly, there's very little point in wanting to hear God's voice if you're not going to do what he says. And so, friends, I want to just encourage you, when you do this, God may speak to you. He may show you something that needs to change in your life, or he may show you something that you need to start doing. And you need to be willing to say, okay, God, I will do that. Even if it's weird, even if it's uncomfortable. If you tell me to, I will. Obedience. The fourth one is this repentance. Again, if he brings something up that, that you need to say, God, I'm sorry about that for, then do that. And turn away from it. Excuse me, and the last one is prayer. Where we have now, we've read scripture, we've asked God to speak, we've heard from God, and now we can take a few minutes and talk to God back. And either thank him for what he said, praise him for who he is, bring up things that are on our heart, that's the intercession part, lifting up people who are on our heart and sharing that. This is a fantastic way of just doing regular Bible reading. But it starts with the belief and the idea that God wants to speak to you, that God wants to say something to you, and wants to do that through his scriptures. And that's something that, that most of us are pretty comfortable with, is reading. But, but James talks about don't just read and then close your Bible and then forget what God said. Instead, do so what we're going to do is each of you were given a, a little handout so what you're going to do is, we're going to take the next 10 minutes in quiet and what I want you to do is I want you to pick there are four four pages of this pick one of them you could then take this home and do the other three throughout this week but pick one doesn't matter which one Any meaning, my mo. And I've already given you the scripture part. So I want you to just read it. And maybe read it a second time, slower. And as you read, just ask God, show me what you want to say to me through this passage. I've picked four semi random passages. Not thinking any of you need one of these specifically, so don't worry about that. Don't go, all right, which one was Brian thinking about when he picked it for me? But I believe that God wants to speak to you, even right now. So I want to invite you to read it, maybe read it twice. If there's a, a line or a word, you could read that again and again. That's what meditation, Christian meditation means, just reading it. Letting it absorb into your life, into your mind. If something sticks out to you, feel free to underline it or write it down below in the message. Maybe something sticks out to you and it's not word for word, but you you write it in the message part. And then I want you to just reflect and think, how do I obey that? Is there something I need to do? Is this something I need to repent of? And then just take some time to pray. I, w- I want to encourage you to, to take this and, and try it. Some of you, maybe something just jumped right out of the page the instant that you read it. And for others, you're still not totally sure what God might be wanting to say in that passage to you. And that's okay. This is not something that is easy. It certainly is not something that kind of comes naturally. It it is a discipline. It's something that we have to continue to go back to Scripture and say, God, I trust that you want to tell me something here. What is it that you want to say? One thing that I heard uh, maybe a few months ago, someone said, anything that is worth learning is worth practicing. I thought that was brilliant. Anything that's worth learning is worth practicing. And if this is something that you are interested in saying, God, I want to hear your voice better. I want to just turn up the volume so that I can hear you. It takes some practice, just like riding a bike, just like learning how to read. Whatever you have learned to do didn't come the first time. And that's okay. Okay. But I want to encourage you this week as you read your Bibles. First of all, to read your Bibles. But as you do that, to think of smorp. And say, God, what is it that you want to say to me as I read? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you lead us into our week, whatever that might look like. Lord, we ask that you would go with us. We trust that you go with us. Help us to follow you each day every decision, every moment that we have. For the times that we fail at that, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of your grace, pick us up, help us to follow you again. In Jesus' name, amen.